You're listening to You, Me, and an Album, Episode 49. I'm Al Melchior. I was really excited because I'd read enough about the Monkees to, to know that Headquarters and Pisces were the records that they sort of took control on and that they... So I was ex, I still bought into the myth of the Monkees maybe being more of a real band than they actually were. Although, again, it's a weird thing because they sort of were, you know, they sort of weren't. And so I listened to the record as as if it, you know, it was this artistic statement that they'd made. That was Joe Adrania talking about the Monkees' 1967 album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. Joe is a multi-instrumentalist who's been making music as the Junior League for nearly 20 years. And earlier this fall, he released the latest Junior League album, Bridge and Tunnel. Joe, I've really been looking forward to this episode. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here. So thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome to You, Me, and an Album. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. <laughs> well, uh, I am too. And I know I said right before uh, we, we hit record here that I have so many questions uh, that uh, I you, know, you had to save them for the show. But I, I want to start with one thing because, uh, you know, I always try to do a little bit of research, not just about the, the album, but also about the guest. Uh, before before coming on here. And I listened to a podcast that you did, I think it was about five years ago. Oh, wow. The uh, Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember doing that. <laughs> yeah. And um, you said something very offhandedly on that podcast that almost made me fall out of my chair. <laughs> you, you <laughs> oh, boy, what did I say? <laughs> you made a reference to every mother's son. Oh, I yeah. Exp- I have to explain the context. To why that that almost made me fall out of my chair. So when I was like five or six years old, I got a present, probably a, a birthday present from my grandparents, and it was an Every Mother's Son album. And it was very random because um, I, I, I loved music, and and so maybe my grandparents understood that. But typically, you know, they would give me things like you know stamps or coins for a stamp or coin collection. Mm-hmm. And um, I got this album. I'd never heard of Every Mother's Son. The, the on the cover they, they looked I mean to my five or six year old self like they look sort of square yeah and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I listened to the album I didn't much care for it and I never listened to it again but every so often I think about like that was really random like <laughs> and so to I'd never heard that group referenced anywhere before um and so just to, to have you you reference that and so I actually went and looked them up and <laughs> You know, they, they were, I guess, a thing for a year or two. But um, yeah, you, you brought you brought back a memory for me. Oh, that. yeah. Well, they, had, well, they were like a, sort of a one-hit wonder, right? Because they only had Come On Down to My Boat. And I think that was pretty much... They might have had a regional hit in New York uh, after that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where they're from. They're from Long Island, I believe. That's where oh, I'm okay. from. They, they, um, or they might have been closer from the city. But, they, that, but what a perfect song that is. Um, uh, I mean, it's got everything. It's got the little Vox Continental organ thing happening. It's got the hand claps. You know, she sits on the dock. And they, I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> my my wife Jen, she calls it my happy place. That song. Uh, so <laughs> I really that's it's like a perfect pop song. You know, that's really cool. Well, I, unfortunately, I, I'm sure I unloaded that album many many decades ago. Um, but yeah, son, I, I want to go back and uh, you know revisit it because uh, i yeah i was i was a harsh critic at the age of five or six or <laughs> well they do they look like really like i guess for the time like collegiate you know like the one yeah. guy's wearing like a sweater with a big h on it and i guess that's supposed to be harvard or something i don't know uh but they do they look like really safe 
you know, uh, for the time. You know, you got the Doors record, and then there's Every Mother's Son. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like kind of constructed the story in my head about you know that my uh, grandparents, you know, they wanted to get me something cool, but but like you said, but also safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they only listened to to opera and and, uh, and classical music. So, uh, like I said, it was a real surprise to even just get a, a an album from them as a as a gift. But uh, yeah, so I, I that's cool that they to- got it for you. It was, it was, uh. it was that I, I, I probably should have appreciated it more at the time. Um, <laughs> I can, I'll digitize my copy and send it to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I uh, uh, think of my grandparents uh, uh, when I listen to that again. So, uh, well, lots to talk about here. Um, uh, I'll try to keep, keep things moving because there's so many things I want to ask you about with your, your own music and the collaborations that you've done and a Talk a little bit about the monkeys as well, because mm-hmm. that's uh, ostensibly what we're what we're here to talk about. But uh, you know, we chatted a little bit before uh, starting the show here, and so you did say you're you're in New Orleans, mm-hmm. based out of New Orleans. And I'm just curious. So you you grew up on Long Island? Is I did. I did. So, I grew up on east on Long Island. And, so uh, how did you wind up in New Orleans? Well, uh, well, so I, I grew up on Long Island and uh, out east, and and uh, went to college in Florida. And uh, got married in Florida, stayed in Florida after college, lived there for 10 years, played in band. I played a band and I had a radio show, did all stuff. And then my wife had a job opportunity uh, outside of New Orleans. I would live about 45 minutes uh, outside. And so she was like, you know, I'd like to go. You know, I'd like to try this out. And I was like, all right, well, let's go. So we just moved here. It wasn't like a, a big plan or anything. You know, she had an opportunity she really wanted to to take. And uh, so we went and I've been here ever since. This is actually, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else, although I still consider New York to be home, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's how I wound up here. It wasn't by any grand design. It was just sort of like an opportunity presented itself and we, we went. How long have you been there? You've been there a while, right? Yeah, tw- uh, gosh, twenty-one years, I think. I think that's that's right. Yeah, two thousand one. Am I doing my math correctly? Or twenty years? Two thousand something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a good long while. I guess I guess it is home. Yeah, I suppose. I, but it's weird because I still think of New York as home. Like when I go, I still have family up there. I've got friends, and when when I go back there, it feels like home i like i like it here i like it. it's great you know but and new orleans is a fantastic city but you know i guess wherever you're from originally you know if you really i, I just i don't know I'm, I'm always kind of a new yorker at heart i suppose yeah well we'll talk a little bit about that because obviously uh that that uh, resonates with your your new album oh uh, yeah uh, but yeah, I want to talk about some of the uh, collaborations that you've had and um, in, in reading up and also listening to that podcast interview that you did, um, hearing that you worked with Jay Ferguson. So initially, I thought that was the Thunder Island guy, but in fact, <laughs> there's, there's another Jay Ferguson uh, from the band Sloan, which yeah. if, if my memory serves, that was actually a band that you we had talked about with you maybe talking about a Sloan album mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah. How'd you connect with Jay? Um, well, I'm I'm a massive Sloan fan. I love Sloan. I think they're one of the greatest bands of all time. I can't believe that one band has four people that talented in it. It's kind of extraordinary. They're all incredible musicians, incredible songwriters. Um, I, I, I still get butterflies when I see them play live. And I, you know, I, and Jay's my friend. And I still feel like, you know, those guys are just the best. And they're also very nice people. Um, 
they uh i i was at a show i used to try i used to drive from florida because they surprisingly for a band from canada they would play florida frequently i mean sort of frequently anyway they would they would manage to get down there but i would drive to atlanta to see a lot of bands i liked because no one plays in augustine Shirley at that point and uh you know, no one was really going that far south. So I would drive about six and a half hours to Atlanta and I went to see Sloan many times and I had interviewed uh, Patrick Pentland and Chris Murphy for my radio show in the mid-90s, I suppose. I had a radio show in, in Florida. And then Jay and I met. I was very excited to, to talk to him, you know, but we, he was really, really great. And he had, we had a lot in common as far as what we liked. And we were talking about 45s and we were talking about different music and we just um, kind of, uh, hit it off and, and and so he we exchanged addresses and we stayed in touch and we became friends and he's he's just really a, a, an incredibly nice nice guy and he's got great taste he's in music and everything he's you know he's just cool he's great 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 guy well, that's so, so neat when yeah. you can actually connect with somebody who's whose music you admire i do i admire him and he's up but he's also a really nice person so um you know that's that's always a, a plus <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I know you have some connections with a couple of folks that I've been very fortunate to um, talk to on this very show. Uh, one of them, Scott McCoy, mm. and uh, also Casey Neal. So yeah. you and Casey have a, a side project that we'll talk about a little bit. And then uh, you and Scott. And, and um, so how did that uh, connection come about? Uh, it's, it's kind of similarly, I, I was a, I was a fan of Scott's. I, 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 again, he was somebody I had massive respect for. And, uh, he wound up the minus five was playing in new Orleans when I moved here. And I was really excited cause I, I hadn't seen, um, the young fresh fellows. And I, 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 I you know, so this was my first time seeing Scott play and you know the minus five was um, amazing. You know, all, all those records are fantastic. And so I was going to the show and I met Scott. And I met Peter Buck and I met John Ramberg at the same time. And so I took them all to the Magic Bus record store around the block and we went record shopping and, um, you know, talking about the Beatles and the monkeys and all that stuff. And uh, then we went to the show and it was that they had a, this thing called the Fast Horse um, Tour. It was all these different bands that they were all playing in. So it was like Two Atara and the Minus Five. And they had a bluesman named Cedell Davis. Sidel Davis. Um, and there was another group as well. I can't remember the name at the moment, but it was really great. It was like all these different bands. And the Minus Five played a set that just blew me out of the water. They were so fantastic. I mean, the songs are great because Scott's an amazing songwriter. Um, but they were just, oh my goodness, it just, it, it just slayed me. And, and I, at that point, I just moved here. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, if I was going to keep playing music or if I was just going to kind of not. And after that, and after talking to Scott and I just sort of like, all right, well, I'm going to make a record and I'm going to, I came up with a band name, the junior league all because of that night, really. So Whoa. it was Scott that, that kind of, and, uh, and he, again, he's, he's a, he's a, he's my friend. He's a good, good, good person. He's in, in, not only an incredibly good person, a nice person, smart, funny, great, but also just the most talented, unbelievable musician and songwriter, as you know. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's the best. So I, I feel very fortunate uh, for that night that um, really changed my life in a very positive way. I know, so. that's, that's incredible. And yeah, I would certainly second, uh, you know, all the things that you said just based on my uh, interaction. Though, I've talked to Scott several times, never in person. So Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe someday. He's the, he's, he's the nicest. He's the nicest guy. He really is. He's very, he's just a really good person. 
And uh, so you've wound up playing with the minus five, correct? I, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was, as a matter of fact, I was recording. I was in, I was in Florida. Scott and I had exchanged emails, and we we stayed in touch, and we, we were friendly. And he emailed me. I was recording Small Street Smile, which was the second junior league record, and I got an email from Scott saying, "Hey, you know, I'm." I'm playing with Jeff Tweedy. He was doing some, I think he was opening some dates on Jeff, uh, Jeff Tweedy acoustic uh, tour. And he said, do, do you want to play with me in New Orleans? And I was just like, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it was, and it was just going to be him and I. So I, I remember I moved my drum set. I don't know why I did this, but inexplicably, I moved my drum set into this big closet I had. And I just rehearsed like every day and practiced those songs. Like, and he's like, whatever he sent me, we were going to play. I just kind of, Figured out exactly what I was going to do and worked so hard every day because I didn't want to let him down. I, I was I was like, wow, he's trusted me to do this. I've really got to kind of pull it together and and do it. And it was great. And then we wound up. He's like, well, do you want to come along to Alabama? We're playing Birmingham the next night, so I, I played the next night as well. And so after that, then um, you know, started you know when 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 the cause came up, uh, if Scott needed me, then I I, I would play. And so and that's the way it is. Even now, if if Scott uh, needs me to play and he you know asked me, I'm I'm happy. To, I'm always happy to do it. So I'm I'm really uh, I love playing his songs. I love playing with him. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of incredible, you know. Yeah, I cannot imagine saying no to that invitation. No, I never would ever. It's it's so much fun. It's it's incredible. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the junior league a little bit now. Bridge and Tunnel. Uh, I hope I've I've done my counting right. Is your eighth? full-length album is it so. yeah i suppose yeah it, I, I gotta count now myself i'm embarrassed <laughs> I, I, I think so yeah yeah it, it sounds about right <laughs> okay okay so um you know as the title would indicate um it relates to your your new york, new york roots uh to long island some things that are very specific to long island mm-hmm. uh on there so what was the inspiration or the, the impetus to to do an album with that theme um I'd written a couple of songs that were about New Yorkers. And I didn't mean to. Like, it just happened that I had the song 54 after, and I wrote it after watching this documentary on Studio 54. And then I had a song called Andrea, You Can't Fly, which I wrote after reading some more Hall biography. And then I had, I think I had another song that, that had to do with something with New York. And uh, yeah, it was Hard Island. That song Hard Island is about uh, this this child, former child actor, Disney child actor named uh, Bobby Driscoll. But it was also about this. Th- there's a there's an actual Hard Island where Long Island Sound meets the East River, and it was a potter's field basically. And um, you know, so so and it was used uh, in the 80s as well, and then it was recently started to be used again. And 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 I, anyway, so they, they had these songs about New Yorkers and such. And I I, I kind of hit a wall where I didn't. I knew I had four or five good songs, but I wasn't sure if I was going to do an EP or do a whole record, you know? And I'd asked a couple of friends, and one, McJay, actually, I, I had said, why don't you, you've had these songs about New York, why don't you just keep writing songs about New York? You use that as a, and I was like, that's a really good idea. And I, you know, so that's that's kind of what I, I did. I just started, and then I wrote LIRR, which is Long Island Railroad. Um, and, and so most of the songs do have some sort of connection to, to New York or Long Island. Um, some of them are more obvious, I guess, than others, but they all sort of, it's in there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another aspect of the album and coming back to Scott McCoy here is that uh, Filthy Friends kind of have their, their fingerprints uh, all over because Scott was involved and Kurt Block uh, was, was involved and uh, Linda Pittman did the, the photography for the cover. Yeah. So, well, well, so what happened was I, 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 in the, in the time I was writing songs, 
Linda had posted a picture she'd taken uh, on on her on on her uh, social media, and I, I loved the picture. And I asked her, I said, "May I? Can I please use it? You know, I, I, do you mind if I use it?" And she's like, "Yeah, you know, go ahead." And so that kind of that picture alone then made me write two other songs. Oh wow! You know, like because I, I just thought that picture was so. Isn't it a beautiful picture? It's like it's really a, it, an amazing I was just picture. Say, it is gorgeous. And she was yeah. very kind to let me use it. Um, and then Scott. You know, as he has on other records, he he he's like, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you, you know? And he helped me. He, he added guitars and keyboards and singing, and you know, gave me uh, feedback on 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 you know, hey, you should try this or think about that, and you know, and I mixed a bunch of it. So you know, Scott was really, really he as always really helpful to me, which I was very grateful for. He's so, I mean, he's amazing. So what he adds is is you know incredible, um, and and Kurt. Uh, mastered the record so um you know which i was uh, really appreciative of and uh and he did a great job and every you know so i'm i'm just really lucky that to, to have all that that help you know well it's it's a beautiful album i hope people check it out if they haven't already and i did reference before that you have uh, another project going and uh, that's sad about and that's um the project that you, you've done with uh, casey neal and which to my ears, doesn't really sound much like you or Casey. So <laughs> I'm very curious about how that came about and how that the the sound that's on that EP, how that uh, developed. Well, um, you know, my buddy Casey, we met through Scott. You know, part of the minus five family. You know, uh, Scott had we were playing a couple of dates uh, as the minus five, and scott had me and michael giblin who my friend mike also makes a couple of songs on the record is an immensely talented guy i'm sure you know the split squad and you know, he's he's phenomenal um and 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 so casey was the guitar player now so we met we met the same day we played on stage together at the baltimore symphony hall or wherever the heck we played with with jeff Tweedy. it's like okay you know and 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 we became pals and so we were we were supposed to get together at South by Southwest um, before the pandemic started. And it was a, a huge bummer that that didn't happen. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing him. I was looking forward to seeing them play. I, I you know, and, and um, so I, I emailed him. I said, hey man, you know, we should try and do something for fun because we're not gonna get to see each other. And maybe we should just kind of mess around and, and record a couple songs for fun and maybe we'll put it out or whatever. And, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? So we, we, we kind of, we both really like blur a lot and we like Damon Auburn and, and, and Casey uh, definitely likes um, more modern pop. He's really more familiar with it than I am. Uh, but we, we, we decided we, we, let's do something that's a bit more like, if not, not really dancey, I suppose, because it isn't dancey, but maybe like the incorporated things that neither one of us, well, maybe more me because Casey does have elements of that stuff in in like in Subterranean, his last record, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, but but we just sort of wanted to do something that maybe didn't sound like Casey Neal and didn't sound like Junior League, you know, but had elements of of who we were in it. And so they came together pretty quickly. You know, we did that first EP, um, and then we just did a new one called "We're Not Happy About It," which <laughs> that was Casey's idea. That title, it's so funny to me. Like we're called sad about so we have a, an EP called we're not happy about it it, it was very very funny and when he suggested it, I literally I, I just almost fell out of my chair because it was very funny um but yeah it's been a pleasant surprise and it's been a lot of fun for us and and I'm uh, and I we definitely plan on doing more for sure 
Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Well, I'd be looking forward to that. And I do want to ask you just one other question. I promise we will get talking about the monkeys. Oh, yeah, sure. But one of the things that I, I am interested in is that you being a multi-instrumentalist, um, but you also, uh, according to that interview that I listened to, you, you had said that your best instrument is drums. Yeah. And yet you... You, uh, you know, you write your own songs. So what is that process for you? Because I'm guessing that you probably don't write the songs on drums. Do you typically write on guitar or keyboard or how does that work? Yeah, I usually write on guitar. You know, it's funny as you mentioned writing on drums. From what I understand, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I've read, I think I've read somewhere, or maybe I'm just making this up, that Robert Palmer used to write songs while he was playing drums, that he used to play drums and sing melodies and so I can, I always imagine him like sitting at the drums, like writing clues, you know what I mean? Like looking for clues <laughs> and it's the coolest idea, but I, I can't do it. Like sometimes I, if I want to do something that like I'll, I'll be playing like Ringo Phil's like, but that boom, and they'll give me an idea to write something like library bar came out of that desire just to do a lot of Ringo Phil's. But um, I generally write on guitar. I'm, I'm a terrible keyboardist. I'm, I am horrifically bad. Uh, I'm, not a very gr- I'm not a good guitar player, really, but I, I know enough that I can write songs. So I, yeah, it's generally I'll pick up a guitar, you know, and, and, and kind of work it out. And I usually write the, the music part first and then the lyrics come later. So that's, that's usually the way it works. All right. Well, you uh, you fulfilled my curiosity on that one. <laughs> Would have been interesting if you'd said you uh, you write mostly on drums, but I, I should have said that. that was... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just cut that part out. We'll start. Over. <laughs> well, hey, I, I I know we are going to get to the monkeys. You did say something before when you were talking about uh, sad about and. Um, just making a reference uh, to the the kind of music that you listen to. So are the monkeys sort of representative of the, of the sort of music that, you know, given your druthers, if you have a few free hours and you're going to listen to some music is, is that in your wheelhouse or do you consider yourself to have very eclectic taste and maybe the monkeys aren't really that similar to other things that you like to listen to? Um, I, I, I grew up my, the first band I really, really loved was the Beatles. I was four years old and I heard, I want to hold your hand on the radio. And that was it. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I remember my, our first new car was a Granada, a Ford Granada, and my dad would put me on his lap and I pretend to drive. And I want to hold your hand. Came on the radio. There was a radio station in New York called CBS FM that played. It was the first of its kind in that it played oldies, oldies, mm-hmm. you know, from the. And so I heard I want to hold your hand. This is like in the late seventies, I guess seventy seven somewhere now. And I just flipped out and I remembered it and I sang it. So everything I like kind of probably comes from that Beatles. Thing and so the monkeys, of course, fits right into that. I do like other stuff and I listen to a lot of stuff, but yeah, if I, you know, I've had it, you know, sit around having a drink or two, yeah, Pisces is going to come out, headquarters is going to come out, the the monkeys live in Japan, I'll pull out my bootlegs and listen to those, and you know, they're they are one of my favorite uh, entities. I don't know if I want to call them a, a group because they, you know, it, it's like how do you classify them? Were they a television show? Were they a group? I I kind of always thought of them as a music group, but I suppose we're going to talk about that in a sec. But yeah. I, I definitely, you know, I, I like to listen to the monkeys uh, relative, re- relatively often. Well, I think you, you know, provided a, a really good entry point for us to go ahead and just dig into the monkeys because I think that is the central question is, are they a band? Are they a real band? How do you think of them? And 
I can't really talk about this album without referencing the fact that I'm you know, part of the legions who have underestimated the monkeys and sort of, I guess really in a way, maybe look down on their music because my, my memories, my, you know, pretty early memories of watching the show on TV and hearing the music was, Oh, they're just cheap knockoffs of the Beatles. They're mm-hmm. there. It's just Beatles for primetime TV. Mm-hmm. And so that was the impression I've carried around until pretty recently, really. Um, so, uh, is that something that you ever had to contend with or, uh, have your associations always been pretty positive? They've always been positive. I've never, I never, uh, thought of them as fake or, you know, that didn't concern me at all. I, I, as a matter of fact, I honestly, I, I was trying to think about this when, when this, when I knew we were going to talk about this record. I, I, I thought what's my earliest memory of the monkeys. And I remember Davy Jones being on Scooby-Doo, you know, and I remember being like, well, who's this English guy that isn't a Beatle? wasn't happy about that and um but I, I i seem to recall that the monkeys were on television when i was little and i i don't i, I i've looked and i i should andrew sandoval would probably be the, the person that would know this answer but i wonder if they were in syndication at the time in the late 70s and maybe they were on in new york because I, I do remember the monkeys but honestly i i remember them more from the radio so i would hear hmm. last train to clarksville or i'm a believer or maybe pleasant valley sunday or valerie and i thought of them like every mother's son or like the beatles or like the rolling stones or the zombies as a real band because i heard them on the radio with those other bands and when you're young you're not thinking about the wrecking crew you're not thinking about you just assume that these guys are they really play and all that kind of stuff right um uh, and then when I got into the story of the monkeys, I started reading books about them and stuff in the in the eighties. You know, I remember reading Monkey Mania by Glenn A. Baker, who was an Australian journalist, and just pouring over it and then realizing, oh my goodness, they fought for control and they they actually could play and they uh, tried to play, and it just heightened the whole thing for me. It made me love it more, and um, it, it made me more obsessed with their their story and their music. So uh, I just fell deeper in love with it. So how was your relationship with the monkeys uh, developing over time? Because like you said, you right away had very positive mm-hmm. associations with them. You, you didn't really associate them primarily with the, with the TV show. So how, over time, because again, they weren't really, you know, putting out copious, uh, you know, quantities of new music over the years. Uh, so how, how did that uh, develop and grow for you? Well, I, I did love the show. Uh, and I, I, I watched Pleasant Valley Sunday on MTV when they showed all 58 episodes on that Sunday, you know, and I was way into it. And I, I, you know, it was weird growing up in, in, in the late seventies and early eighties, you you know, everything was like a hangover from the sixties sort of, or the early seventies. So it felt to me like, oh, I, I was so obsessed with that time anyway, because of my Beatles fandom and stuff that it just, it was so interesting to watch the show as a time capsule, as well as the fact that, you know, it was, it was pretty funny. You know, it was, it was kind of silly sometimes, but it was funny and they were good. And it also, there was a lot of countercultural stuff happening in that show. And it seems like people have really kind of paid more attention to that in the last 10 to 15 years than maybe they did at that time. Like you see all these references to, you know, it could be references, sly references to marijuana or, or references to anti-war stuff or, you know, or just the way they dressed in the second season or some of the, you know, references to long-haired weirdos. So I, the the, the show is fantastic. And I think it just, as I said earlier, it, it sort of, everything, everything that, as I got into the levels of the monkeys, it just deepened my love for them and respect for them 
uh, you know what I mean? It just kind of yeah. made it more intense for me. Yeah. Well, my wife is a huge monkeys fan. So there's been a lot of monkeys talk in the household the last few days <laughs> getting ready for this episode. She was so excited that you picked this album. Oh, cool. She brought up just earlier today, brought up the MT- MTV thing, which either I didn't remember or maybe never knew about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that was interesting because uh, she remembered clearly. Uh, but the other thing, too, is that because she is a fan that I've watched some episodes of the show fairly recently, you know, but long before we planned this episode. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of cool to do that because as a kid, I just remember the slapstick humor and the songs, but watching it from the perspective of you know somebody in his mid fifties now, I could see all those other layers and I had to appreciate it. Yeah. It, it, Cause there's a lot of stuff going on. And I remember my, my mom, you know, it was so funny. Two things. I, again, it's brought back all these things my mom, I remember she said, oh, well, the monkeys, well, check this out. And she hands me an RCA 45. And I knew RCA because that was the label that David Bowie was on and also John Denver. So I knew RCA. Okay. And it was Michael Nesmith. I had no idea that he had a solo career after the monkeys. And then I fell in love with that because that stuff is just amazing. And it was Joanne, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible, you know. And and then I saw Head before I'd seen all the episodes of the show. So and head their movie head is a I don't know if you've ever seen it it's, it it is it is heavy there's a lot going on in that movie oh I, I highly recommend it. It, it you'll you'll get something new out of it every time you've watched it and I I am not exaggerating when I tell you I've watched that film close to probably I mean hundreds of times uh, it, it's it's incredible it's 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 I, I can't even describe it it's almost indescribable <laughs> it's, it's but it's definitely worth watching. Okay, well, that that is definitely going on the viewing list. And I know my wife, by the way, has never seen it because she actually had at some point heard or read something negative about it and didn't want her image tarnished of of the monkey. So she's never seen it. Well, they do deconstruct their their image a lot in that film. And uh, it's it's a very dark film. It's really strange. I don't want to ruin it for you, so I don't want to say too much about it. But just the opening of it, you'll be a bit shocked by what happens. It's, It's really... And also, and I will tell you this, I'm a spoiler alert, they, they play live in the film. They have a song, they do oh, a Nesmith yeah. song called Circle Sky, and they're just great, because they developed in such, such a cool band. Um, so it's it, definitely check it out, and then message me and tell me what you thought. <laughs> okay, we'll do, really we'll good. do. This is awesome, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right, one other discovery uh, that I learned from, I think, listening to that podcast or, or somewhere in my research that you have or had a monkeys uh, tribute band. Cover band. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Is uh, that I, still going on? No, we haven't done it in a while, but I, I think that, you know, now that things are, you know, hopefully moving in a positive direction, we can, I it's, it's, it was me and two friends from, from here, uh, a, a very talented uh, singer and bassist named DC Harbold, who's in a band called Bipolaroid from New Orleans. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're really good. And my friend Lee Barbier, who was in a great Baton Rouge band called The Myrtles, and occasionally a keyboard friend, uh, Casey McAllister, who actually I co-wrote a song on Bridge and Tunnels with. Well, it was his music, but um, and, and we would just do two sets of like every monkey song. You could, you know, we played all the obscure stuff. We we throw in the hits, of course, but we would just knock them out. It was so much fun. So yeah, I I, I we were called the Missing Links. Although it's probably a million monkeys cover bands called the Missing Links, but uh, <laughs> but we we just played in this area. We just played in New Orleans. But it, oh man, if people would come out and they really enjoyed it and i think it's just a testament to how much people love the monkeys you know but yeah i i we need to 
it's time fellas if you're listening let's go get to do a monkey show <laughs> all right all right we'll make sure they, they hear the the show here <laughs> get the word out one of the things that i had difficulty with with listening to the album really i mean there's so there's the two things and one was just cutting out the noise in my head of all the negative associations and connotations that i've you know, been carrying around since i was you know probably like you know seven or eight but the other thing too and this has come up on some other episodes where uh, we've talked about albums from roughly the same era is that I'm very accustomed to hearing music that's pretty well produced. Mm-hmm. And it was a little difficult for me, a little frustrating for me uh, to get into the, the album because of the, the quality of some of the recording. Is that something that you would uh, agree with in terms of an assessment of it and related to your, your playing in the, the monkeys cover band, does that give you an opportunity to kind of play the songs and, and, and blow them out in a way that uh, doesn't get captured by the recordings? Um, well, you know, I, I think Pisces sounds great. Uh, I, I really enjoy the, the way that record sounds. I know that a lot of it has, there's a lot of compression on the record and there's, but I, I think it, it sounds really good. Um, I, I like the mix of it. I like the, the performances certainly. Um, I, I I think there's other records of that time that probably don't sound as good. Um, what what about it? I'm just curious. Like, what about it? Do you think was maybe lacking? I think I think the, the compression is, is certainly a part of it, and just the way that things were mixed. And just one example for uh, that that just comes right to mind is on words with the chimes that are so high up in the mix. Things like that, where where it's just the mix, just yeah, it just doesn't sound right to me. Mm. I you know I never thought about it. I think maybe because it just connected with me so hard that I I, I enjoyed it. I didn't really. I'm, it's not that I'm not critical of it. I I mean, there's certain things as what we'll, we discuss the record that I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, I can maybe this isn't my favorite, but um, I I don't know. I I think that uh, I think. It, I, Perhaps part of the thing is that I think although they were trying to make quality product, and I hate to use that word product, but I think with an entity like the Monkees, maybe there were elements within that business that saw it as product, you know, Um, that they didn't expect people to be talking about it and listening to it 50-something years later. I think they thought it was disposable. And the, the fact that we're here talking about it and that it affected people so deeply like myself you know um is a testament to the quality that that's there that maybe they didn't even realize but i they did this stuff really quickly as well you know i mean it was it was recorded all over the place it was recorded in nashville and in new york and and in la and so um for that you know for all those those different um uh, elements i think i think it sounds pretty pretty good you know but well and uh, i want to be clear where i'm coming from when i say that too because i i'm really coming from a place of feeling like I'm I'm probably missing something because I'm recognizing that I'm accustomed to listening to a certain type of music, typically from a certain era. And so it's really an adjustment for me. So like when I did the episode on Billie Holiday or um, Ella Fitzgerald and, you know, going even further back, I had to kind of retrain myself to, mm-hmm. to listen to those albums. So... Um, you know, it's not more like, oh, this this album really sounds horrible and it stinks. It's more like, here's a here's an obstacle that I had to overcome in really giving this album a fair listen. Sure, I understand. 
Yeah, and 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 again, it's like it, it is. It's like you know, I, I before we did we we were before we were talking just before I, I have a an old um, suitcase record player up, up here in my little studio room, and I, I put it on that, trying to imagine what it sounded like to um, the kids that would be buying this record in November of 1967, and you know. Yeah, it, it's not. Uh, it doesn't sound like a Gary McFarlane record or something, you know. Those just sound incredible sonically, and you know. Um, but you know, I think I, 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 I get where you're coming from, though. I really do. I understand, you know. But I, yeah. I can't tell you the amount of inspiration I've got from this in terms of like, you know, I love what like the bass is super loud in certain songs, and it's yes. like mixed really panned hard left or something. I, I love stuff like that, you know. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, let's uh, let's dig in. Okay. Let's. We've talked about some of the the generalities here, but um, let's let's get into the tracks. And it opens with "Salesman," mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it seems like a, a good kind of snappy opener. Uh, but um, how, you know, how do you feel about that uh, that track as a way to start the album off? I love it. I love "Salesman." It's one of my favorite Monkey songs. Uh, it was written by a guy named Craig Smith, and Craig Smith was, I think he was one of like the Andy Williams singers. He used to be on the show, and he was um, he was going to be in a show called The Happeners, I think, or The Happening, no, The Happeners, uh, but that didn't, I guess, make it, but he was a really great songwriter, and he had a band called The Penny Arcade that Michael Nesmith produced, and he, it's funny because that song... It sounds a bit like, uh, you know, she's about a mover, like the Sir Douglas Quintet. It sounds, it has that kind of vibe, or maybe like the JJ's Come Back If You Dare. It's got that kind of, mm, Salesman, where you going to go sell all of your goods today? Salesman, gonna walk along the street, see friends along the way. But he had a song with a penny arcade called, uh, oh my good, Swim Through the Darkness. That is also really similar. It's got that kind of, to me, it's a very Sir Douglas Quintet, which is kind of, they were from Texas, I think, as well. So it makes sense that Nesmith would sing a song like that and he would choose that song and then produce Craig Smith's band. Um, which, by the way, Craig Smith is a really interesting story. And there's a fellow named Mike Stacks that wrote a book called Swim Through the Darkness. It, it's really interesting if you're ever, you know, he's got a very interesting story. But yeah, I love Salesman. It's one of my favorite songs off the record, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it does have that that really uh, great groove to it. I like the lyrics to this one, and that's not something that I'm usually uh, aware of. You know, the first or second listen, but just the image of the salesman, and it's not like just from the title. And I kind of thought of like Taxman a little bit too, uh, mm-hmm. you know, given the era and is is an album opener. But I kind of had this idea that it was going to be you know like a guy in a suit. But no, the image is you know somebody pushing a, an old wooden cart down the street, you know, ten miles. And I I just thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. I think I think the themes were sort of similar of what I was expecting, but it was set up in a in a very different way. Well, and it's funny too because you've got this song that opens up a monkey's record. Which is a, a a show tailored to nine to seventeen year olds with 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 this kind of song that maybe references drug dealers, you know, um, and you know, salesman, where are you gonna go? You walking on the street? You see, you're out there, hot or cold, whether it's you know, he's always out there selling, and you know, you know, what's that one line? Copper kettle, different kinds of thing. There goes the salesman. He's sailing high again. He's sailing so high, high. Copper kettles, different kinds of tin. 
You know, you know, adults are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. And and I think that it, 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 that song was in an episode called "The Devil and Peter Torque that almost didn't air on NBC, partially probably because of that song, because uh, it had the high in there, and you know, yeah. So it's funny that, that here's this band, you know, and I think they were. I don't think they were sitting there going, yeah, let's put this word high in the song so that people take us seriously. But I'm sure there was a, you know, they were of that generation and they probably wanted to be seen as more like the Buffalo Springfield maybe than, you know, the Banana Splits, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, there was no well, Banana Splits. Well, I'll, ad- I'll admit to having completely missed those references, which were, yeah, put right there in front of me. And then there's the line, uh, short short lifespan. Yeah. So that, that puts that into into a better perspective short lifespan the whole thing's grand yes uh, it, it's and, and Nesmith and there's an outtake of that there's a different version where at the end he's talking about a cigarette rolling machine which one you know could yeah. add two and two and get you know joint so uh you know uh, it's interesting it's just interesting that 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 song that that's the song that started out the record and it's not Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, you know, and it's it's sort of. <laughs> I, I think it's just as good as anything else. Other serious '60s pop bands were putting out. You know what I mean? Like, and I say serious in air quotes. Like, right? I, I take it seriously. So, you know. Well, part of what I had to do, and and I did this too on uh, on the recent episode that we did uh, on on Drive by Truckers because part of what I discussed with Stephen Dusner was how. It, the the name is definitely not one of the better aspects of the band. And so to not bias myself when I listened to that album was imagine that they had a different name. I think I, you know, just on the show, I said, just, you know, I'll call them asparagus or just something silly like that. <laughs> so I, I, I was trying to do the same thing with the monkeys. And if I take away the baggage of thinking of them as the monkeys, then yeah, a song like salesman just to me just sounds like a legit groove from the sixties. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, if, yeah, if, if if the Buffalo Springfield had done that song, you yeah. know, everybody would be like, "Oh yeah, the 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 classic salesman from you know." It, which I, I love the Buffalo Springfield, by the way. I'm not trying to dog on them, but you know, yeah, I, I think that 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 the monkeys suffers from that. You know, it's sort of like when John Lennon did that Rolling Stone interview in 1970. You know, for years people just thought whatever he said in that interview about the other Beatles or about was the gospel. You know, which. Mm-hmm. As you discover later, maybe that wasn't the case, you know? So, um, but yeah, Salesman, what a great song. And, and also one thing, can I can I say something else too about like- Of course. Um, the interesting thing about Pisces is that, you know, the Monkees weren't allowed to play on their first two instruments. And they gave Nesmith a couple of songs here and there to produce so they just keep them quiet. Uh, but they had started playing shows. They, they The producers had requested, hey, you know, you guys, we need you to play live. There's a demand for it. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, and they were like, we can play, you know, maybe please let us play on some of these records so people don't accuse us of being fake and stuff. And it was like, no, 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 no. And so they fought for the control and they they put out headquarters where they basically played everything themselves. This record, it's almost like they've decided, okay, well, we want to play on it. We want to control, have more control over what's going on. But we realized that maybe as a four piece, you know, Mickey Dolan's who learned to play drums to fake it on the show had only been playing for like a year and a half and he did remarkably well. I'm a huge fan of his drumming, a mm-hmm. huge fan. Um, but, uh, you know, let's get Eddie Ho in to play, you know, drums and let's get Chip Douglas playing bass and Mike and Peter would play guitar and keyboards and maybe occasionally Mickey would play drums. And that mixed mode monkeys, I think works really well on this. You know, so you, I think that that's a, 
it, it gives a cohesion to the record. You know, I, I think headquarters has that as well. But I mean, I, I, I think this was it was an effective thing for them to do. It, it probably made things a little bit easier instead of like take fifty six because. You know, when you haven't been playing drums that long, it's probably difficult to just nail it, you know, playing to a click or whatever. So um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because I was thinking about it. So. <laughs> I know I, I was, too. So I'm really glad that you addressed it because I, you know, my wife gave me some of the, the background that you just were alluding to with headquarters. And so I was sort of surprised and maybe a little disappointed that when I was looking at the credits for this album that it wasn't more of their playing. And in fact, that only three of the songs and really only two of them were, were written by group members, a couple of, of Nesmith songs on here. But uh, so it was a little bit of a surprise to me that it wasn't more of a, just a, a truly monkeys uh, product uh, on this album. But you know, it's amazing though. If you consider the fact that they, they, they had 58 episodes of the show. So they were doing like, 20 something episodes a season and and they still made time to make these records and they still took on the responsibility of playing on those records which shows an immense dedication to their art uh an immense dedication to being truthful with their fans um and and, an incredible talent and i think that given the time constraints they had the, the the idea that they played on any of this stuff or wrote any of it when they were really hired to play a band on television is just an extraordinary thing. It really is. It's it's, it's like George Clooney deciding to perform appendectomies. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of incredible, you know? <laughs> no, it really is. It really is. Uh, so I want to take a little bit of a, a detour or a, a turn that I didn't plan on doing here, which is that instead of going through the album in sequence ordering, okay. Go by the lead vocalist. Okay. Because uh, we start out with with a a Michael Nesmith vocal here on Salesman. I found that after listening to it a couple of times and not really paying that much attention to who was singing the lead vocals, that all my favorite tracks were the Nesmith tracks. Hmm. And so I'm just curious as to whether you have a preference for the vocalist, if it's something that even really matters to you and listening to a monkey's album. But that was, that was just how it broke down for me. And, and conversely that my least favorite songs were the Davy songs. Mm, yeah. Um, I, well, Mike and Mickey are, are my favorite singers in the monkeys. Um, and I think when they sing together, it's like, Oh my God, like pleasant Valley Sunday, the, the two of those voices blended. Oh man, it's, it's, Incredible. It gives you goosebumps, you know. Another Pleasant Valley Sunday Here in Status Mickey Dolans is one of the most talented singers in pop rock history, period, in my opinion. Um, I think his vocal on Pleasant Valley Sunday, his vocal on I'm a Believer, his vocal on anything he sang. And to this day, you know, the guy, he's what, 77 years old? He sounds amazing. He sings those songs in the original key and he nails them. It's it's incredible. So I love his singing words, his singing on words. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. And Peter Tork as well. Great job on words. And Nesmith though, boy. And I think that Nesmith was smart. They picked songs that, you know, suited his voice. Like he sounded really great singing salesman. He sounded really great. What am I doing hanging around? When I first heard that, I thought Michael Nesmith wrote it. I, I was surprised that he didn't. Um, 
and, and the door in the summer in particular is, is a phenomenal vocal performance. So, uh, yeah, I, Mike and Mickey really shine on this. And Mike in particular, he takes a lot of lead vocals on this record. So if you like his voice, certainly it's going to be kind of a, a, a pull, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's got, to me, a little bit of a folky quality. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, your, your point makes sense to me because at least some of those songs are a little folkier. There's a little bit more uh, acoustic instrumentation. There's a country thing happening, you know, like what am I doing hanging around? It's got Doug Dillard on the, on the banjo. There I lightly took advantage of a girl who loved me so. But I found myself thinking when the time had come to go. But but even the songs that Nesmith wrote that, you know, usually you associate Michael Nesmith with, all you know, uh, uh, country rock, country, or yet he wrote Daily Nightly, which is kind of this weird psychedelic song, and, and, and Don't Call On Me, which is, oh my goodness, that song is beautiful. The the melody, it, it like... You know, I, I remember reading, I think it was in that Monkey and Mina book when I was a kid, they were comparing his vocal to like, like Johnny Mathis could have sang that song or something. And and he, he, maybe, maybe that's right. You know, it's kind of incredible. Don't uh, call on me when you're feeling footloose and fancy Yeah, he. I think that he he chose wisely. The songs he sang really suited him. Yeah, no, all those are uh, really my my favorites. And my general overall impression of the album is that I don't know that this is an album I would go back and just put on. You know, that I would put it on in the car or just when I had some free time. But the Michael Nesmith songs in particular, and also I would say Nightly Daily or Daily Nightly rather. Um, those are songs that I could just see if I if I wanted to just play a one off. Mm-hmm. I would listen to any one of those songs. So it's it's an album that like, half of the songs to me are really great songs, mm. and the other half were just okay. Now again, I, I want to frame this in the context of not <laughs> listening to this album very many times, never having listened to it at all before a few days ago, and only having known Pleasant Valley Sunday at all uh, out of this whole album before, say a week ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand that that's, that's an initial impression. So I am interested talking to somebody who is a huge fan of this album and has been for a long, long time. What takes this from an album that's pretty good and has some, some great songs that you could listen to individually to an album that's great to listen to from start to finish? Um, that, that's a good question. I, I, I think... I think a lot of times, the first time we hear a record, it, 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 whatever that first impression kind of sticks with us, you know what I mean? And, and, and everything builds off of that. When I first heard this record, I was I was really excited because I'd read enough about the Monkees to, to know that Headquarters and Pisces were the records that they sort of took control on and that they... So I, was, I still bought into the myth of the Monkees maybe being more of a real band than they actually were. Although... I, Again, it's a weird thing because they sort of were, you know, they sort of weren't. And so I listened to the record as as if it, you know, it was this artistic statement that they'd made. Um, that they meant to have the songs in that order, that they 
you know, and, and not realizing that maybe Lester Sill, their, their music coordinator or other people had something to do with this stuff. And, and, um, you know, I felt it, 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 it kind of flowed really nicely. So salesman was a great opener and then you get like a Davy pop song, then you get a serious Mike song, then you get a kind of the vaguely psychedelic love is only sleeping and then another pop song and another pop song. And it just sort of, I, I don't know. It just felt like, each side made a, a statement. I don't know how else to describe it. it. It just felt like it was the best of everything they did. Uh, and, and the record as a whole just presented uh, the monkeys in the, in the highest possible quality. Um, I don't think there's a weak song on the record, except I, I really could have done without Peter Percival Patterson's pet pig Porky. I think that yeah. kind of stuff just sort of brings you back into the, the nine year old, thing of this but that's i guess my hang up not theirs you know I, I and and i think they there was a there was an outtake that that peter Tork did this thing it was called special announcement where they were talking about the different tones uh like you know the, this this is 80 kilohertz you know that would have probably been better even and maybe could have been almost more in keeping with the time than you know peter percival's pet pig name for i can't even do the pop thing that he does but <laughs> That's just you know, I don't know that that that's the only thing on the record. I'm like, oh, I could do without that, you know. Peter Percival Patterson had a pig named Porky. This pig named Porky loved pie. He loved pizza pie, pumpkin pie, pineapple pie, pizza pie. So that was interesting to me because I'm a huge Todd Rundgren fan, mm. and so there's that track on something anything, yeah. yeah so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's called. Uh, I think it's just called Intro. That uh, it's very, very similar to that, but obviously it's a few years later. So I was a little taken aback, almost sort of crestfallen, because I always thought that was a really cool part of that that Rungren album. And it's like, oh, this that suddenly seems really derivative now because he talks about the popping peas and the hissing S's. And I mean, it's very similar. This, of course, is hum. Peas popping. This is the sound of bad editing. Am I crazy? Is that a connection that you've ever made with that? I, n- no, uh, but but it, I guess you know. I think that well, first of all, that special announcement thing with the, the tonal thing I, that didn't come out until a, like a reissue in the '90s, so no one heard mm-hmm. that unless they had a bootleg maybe or something. But um, I wonder, I, I wonder, I wonder if Todd Rundgren liked the Monkees. That's such an interesting. He probably, I would imagine, he didn't because he was already like what twenty something, and he was doing the Naz at that point already. And, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, maybe he would have thought that was. But then again, who knows? Maybe maybe he heard that and thought that was cool and was kind of like between that and people like Frank Zappa doing things that were humorous on their records, maybe Rundgren thought, you know, yeah, I, I could do that as well. And I could do something that's funny. And, um, you know, and, and there's a couple things on that record where you can, he's like one, two, oh, hold it. All right, here we go. One, two, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so maybe, maybe that was part of his thinking that it's okay to do that because of the example set by the monkeys in some small way, you know? Uh, I'd like to, boy, that'd be a really good question to ask him. Let's, oh. let's call him. No. <laughs> <laughs> and now uh, live via satellite, Todd Rungren. <laughs> that would be a great show. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, there's just a, a couple of you know, specific things here that uh, I'm really curious to, to get your take on. One would be, and you already alluded to it and uh, that was Mickey's drumming mm. and he only, at least according to the credits, only drums on, on a couple of the songs. But I, I 
it made me wish that he had drummed on more of them because I thought there were some some pretty cool some pretty cool fills. I'm trying to find in my notes because I don't remember top of my head. Oh, it was uh, Door into Summer. And he thought he heard the echoes of a penny whistle band and the laughter from a distant caravan. Yeah, so Dorna Summer and Cuddly Toy are the two songs that Mickey yeah. plays drums on this record. And and the rest is Eddie Ho, who's a phenomenal drummer. I, I have this thing about Mickey Dolan's drumming. When I was a kid, I used to set my drums up like his. Like I would, I would play the kick with my left foot and then move everything else kind of righty with a closed just because he did it. You know, I wouldn't play like that all the time, but I... Of course, I had to do that. You know, is I love the fact that Mickey Dolan's learned how to play drums in a year and got really good. I, I enjoy. Like, have you ever heard the live 1967 Monkeys record? I've not. No. Oh, it's they were fun. All right, so imagine guys just bashing out punk rock style Monkey songs. It's sort of like my cover band. You know, like they 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 just rocked it out. Like, and Mickey would be like, wah, bah, 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 and singing at the same time. And Peter Tork would be playing bass, and they were really great. They were like the best garage band you've ever heard. And I just love his drumming beyond belief. And I, I've gotten, I've I've had the uh, great pleasure of meeting Mickey Dolans and. Poor guy. Every time I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him, I'm like, I, I love your drumming. I just, I, I, you know, and he's probably just like, oh, God, really stop, please. You know, but he, he's always been really gracious about, oh, thank you very much. And I remember the first time I met him, I was so nervous. I mumbled it. I was like, oh, I really love your And he's like, you do? He's like, oh, thanks. And he's telling me why he set up his drums the way he did. And I was just like in heaven for 10 minutes, you know. Uh, yeah, but he's... Cuddly toy, he he plays really interestingly. He's like he's doing the bum ba bum ba 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 bum. You're not the only kind, and then they, you're not the kind to tell you ba 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 da band. Like he double times it, you know. You're not the kind of girl to tell your mother the kind of company That's hard for drummers that have played for a long time to do successfully and he did it and and during the summer he plays remarkably solid you know it's him in the beginning so as the song starts and it's like that's him and then eddie ho comes in in the second verse so you'll oh. hear in the other channel like a a symbol and you hear like and all the fills and the bass parts coordinate that's eddie ho and chip douglas but mickey's in the other channel you know keeping that solid thing happening at least that i think you know um it's great he's great he, oh man you gotta check out that live 1967 record though if you get a chance to because he's boy what, what an incredible talent can you imagine like learning how to play drums in a year after the fact you're playing in front of eighteen thousand people well, yeah. I, I have been learning drums for pretty much exactly a year. So the answer really? is no. No. When, when's your 18,000? <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to play for more than I think two people. And, and that that was probably too many. So. Okay. So I'm going to have you play on a junior league song and, you know, I'm going to send you a track. Uh, make sure you mic the drums up, you know, and uh, <laughs> we'll be ready to go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you'll not be uh, be happy with that. <laughs> 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 no, I, it's yeah, learn, learning this instrument, you know, this this stage of life. I mean, I have such incredible respect for anybody who could you know pick it up that quickly. It's it's incredible. And drums are fun, and yeah. they're very very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even if you don't play them well, it's really fun. <laughs> 
so I wanted to talk about another element too, which is uh, a couple of the songs later on, uh, Daily Nightly and then Star Collector. You've got some some synths in mm-hmm. that. And it, both of those tracks, I, I love the way they sound. So while I complained very early on about not generally liking the sound or having a difficult time with the sound of this album, I think those two tracks sound phenomenal. And I was sort of surprised. I guess it's the Moog uh, synthesizer, but there's like a on Star Collectors. There's that that like horn type synth, and I d- I didn't realize that was like a thing that was available in 1967. That was cool. Yeah, I think that Mickey Dolan's, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm getting my monkeys facts correct, he bought the second Moog synthesizer ever built. Uh, he bought it in California. I think he saw a demonstration of it at the Monterey Pop Festival. I hope I'm getting my facts straight. Um, but and, and then he bought one. So he had the second one ever made. And the Monkees used it on a, the first... They, they were the first band to use it on a rock record. Um, they, they tracked this record before The Doors tracked Strange Days, I believe. And, and so if not the first, it was very, very close. And Mickey played the Moog on Daily Nightly. It's him doing all those... And and in Star Collector, uh, this fellow named Paul Beaver, who I guess was a, a, a more of a maybe had more experience with the 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 new sense uh played that but then you got peter torque in the back with the organ ding 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 i prefer daily nightly uh, star collector i like the lyrics i think it's cool it's not my favorite track off the record but daily nightly oh man yeah that songs and the lyrics are great you know uh nesmith uh real impressionistic lyrics that i guess he he was down on the sunset strip around the time of the riots in late 66 and that's what he wrote uh about. so i was going to ask you if you understood what the song was about because i i could not crack the code on to that. be truthful had i not read an interview where he said that i wouldn't have guessed yeah. <laughs> i would have yeah, just been no, like wow man cool <laughs> exactly yeah it seemed like a yeah, just psychedelic and trippy and not necessarily meant to be understood <laughs> yeah well that one line is second hands and time is slow i'm moving even faster it's like wow what a cool it's just cool as poetry yeah you know and then mickey just sings it so fantastic he's just like almost this detached thing until the end where he's like almost screams that last line i'm waiting down to what who's found the questions but no answers so cool and i remember in the show they had like a video and he's playing the synthesizer in this video and it's black and white and they're all kind of looking vaguely psychedelic and at the end he looks right at the camera and he goes psychedelic you know it's just really <laughs> weird you know I, but it was, it was very cool that song's awesome and great great basic track underneath it great drumming and bass playing from Chip Douglas and Eddie Ho and, and I think Mike's playing rhythm the electric guitar and I think Peter Tork is playing the keys on there so very cool yeah no I really like it a lot that's definitely one of the you know four or five tracks that I 
could definitely just listen to anytime right now, even after just listening to it to, to a few times. I would say that, and um, uh, I would say, like I said, I like all, all the Michael songs a lot. Um, what am I doing hanging around? It's just a great song. I could just imagine, you know, any number of bands having having played that song. Door into Summer is just gorgeous. Yeah, Door into Summer is such a beautiful song, and 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 they were doing that on their last tour. I didn't get to see this last Mike and Mickey tour, which I was so so bummed out because I've seen almost every other tour. Uh, but they did a, an unbelievable. There was a live record put out from that tour uh, that's beautiful. It's fantastic, and they do a version, and Nesmith just kills it. He sings it perfectly it's unbelievable um yeah i love that song love the performance of it and and what am i doing hanging around again that monkey mania book when i read as a kid there was the the guy made reference to the fact that oh well there was rumors that the birds were playing the backing track on that and i was thinking to myself yeah the birds wouldn't have probably done that but it, it it was like it sounds so perfect that that electric banjo part really just kind of kills which i always wondered why nesmith didn't have peter tork play that because peter tork was an excellent banjo player but i Mm -hmm. suppose if you can call doug dillard yeah you know (laughs) sure okay i'll get doug dillard in no problem you know (laughs) but uh it it is it's a great song and they use that in the show as well i think they use both of those songs in the show uh if not mistaken so it, it always surprises me because when i when i saw the monkeys live when i heard you know what am i doing hanging around i'm thinking of the album Pisces Aquarius, whereas other people associate it with the episode, it's a nice place to visit or something because they saw it in the show. It's so weird how, depending on how you came at the monkeys, that's how you associate the music. Either, and I think that those guys, and I'm not, I don't know them, so I'm, I'm not trying to speak for them, but I think they think that people associate all that music through the show, mm-hmm. and I, I think they don't always realize that people like me, I, I associate it with through the records that. You know what I mean? I'm coming at it from more that aspect than I am. I saw it in episode 38 or whatever. You yeah. know, and I, there's a lot of other fans like like me. I think out there like that. You know, that that, that associated through the records. Yeah. Well, honestly, for me, even though I grew up watching the Monkees, I didn't. It wasn't like a huge staple in my TV watching. It was just something I would watch now and then. So I think for me, having a new entry point now through the albums. I think you know most of these songs. Not really. I don't really remember what episodes, which songs were in. So I feel like comic book yeah. guy referencing specific. It was in episode sixty-two, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> I can geek out, you know. I gotta, I gotta keep myself in check because it can get really geeky, you know. <laughs> is there is there community around this, uh, uh, either online or, or in the real world? Oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Where, you I know, mean, people do talk about episode thirty-eight or whatever, or. Yeah. Remember that scene, or yeah. I think with 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 the advent of social media, all these people have discovered each other. Because um, I wasn't aware of it growing up. You know, I, I felt like I was a bit out on an island uh, on this. You know, there wasn't a lot of monkeys fans really until after like the MTV uh, resurgence and stuff. But even then, it was like, you know, now there's a ton of people who will say, oh, yeah, they'll, if I say Eddie Ho, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. They'll know. And Andrew Sandoval, I think, has done so much to uh, uh, foster that that fandom and that legacy. He's he's written uh, incredible. He wrote t- in two incredible books about the monkeys. Uh, he, well, it was the same book, but he updated it, so it's really not the same book. But he has a day-by-day uh, book that is just the most astonishing peak of piece of work it's incredible and uh i i think that maybe you know 
because there's more availability of this stuff than there was and more yeah. uh, available information that people have dug in, dug in, dug in deeper, you know? Well, I know that we've uh, hopscotched around in terms of talking about the different tracks, different aspects of the album, but I do feel like, at least from for my satisfaction, that we, we really covered a lot of it. But uh, I certainly want to give you an opportunity, uh, if there's anything, any song that we should have talked about more or anything about the album that's that's really worth pointing out. Um. Oh, boy. I, I, I Well, you know, the problem is I just won't shut up. You know, <laughs> I'll just keep talking. Uh, but I, I would say that Pleasant Valley Sunday is probably one of the best pop rock singles ever, um, in my in my view. Uh, the singing, the the playing, the arrangement is just top notch. Uh, and I think that the one thing I really like about Pisces is that it shows it showcases each member's talent. Peter Tork uh, plays keyboards throughout the record, and he does a beautiful job. I mean, he really has wonderful parts. Mickey Dolenz plays drums on two songs very, very well. He sings beautifully on this record. Michael Nesmith, again, as we talked about earlier, sings, plays guitar all over the record, um, wrote beautiful songs for the record. And Davy Jones, you know, um, Davy's songs are hit and miss for me, but I love Hard to Believe. I think he sings that so well, and I really like that song it was written by a guy named kim copley i think his name was and he was a member of the opening band for the monkeys on the 67 tour called the sundowners and he i think that guy plays all the instruments on the record as well on that song but davy sounds so great on that he's doing what davy does really well it's hard to believe that you could ever doubt me i try not to hear the things you say about me. And, uh, and, and, and she hangs out too is another like just it's if you're going to have like a, a, a poppy song like that, make it a really good poppy song. And she hangs out is just a good poppy song, you know, and it's it's got a nice horn thing happening. And it's just Davy. You can see him doing it. You, you can almost visualize him doing his Davy dance while he's singing it. And, you know, and he sounds great. He sounds almost a little tough on it. Ah, oh, you say he's got a little bit of a rasp to his voice, you know? Yes. So I think that the, that's the cool thing about the, the Pisces is that I think that, A, it showcases each of their talents, uh, as well as the talents of Chip Douglas as a producer. Um, and I also think that it stands alongside any other pop record of that time. I, I would put it up against Strange Days. I would put it up against... The Strawberry Alarm Clock, certainly. I would put it up against uh, anything that came out that year. You know, even, you know, look, Sgt. Pepper, the Beatles, that they're like my... But, man, you know, Pisces is... What what what, what did compare to Sgt. Pepper? You know what I mean? So right. I, I think outside of that, Pisces stands alongside any other record put out in 67 with 100%. And, in fact, is better than some of them. In my view, ah, that's a statement. Yep, that's and I'll statement. stand by it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love those guys. I appreciate them making a record like that. They were just supposed to be a TV show. I, I can't tell you how thankful I am that they had the integrity and the desire to create art to make something more than they had to. It's it's it's, it's unbelievable, and it certainly yeah. pleased me. And yeah, as impressive as all that is, too. Like you said, that they brought in these these incredible studio musicians, and 
the the songwriters. Uh, there's a couple of Goffin King songs mm-hmm. on the album, Cuddly Toy. You know, once I I heard it, and then probably after a couple of listens, then looked at the credits and saw that that was a Harry Nilsson song, and that's I thought, well, how could I not tell that that was a Harry Nilsson song right off the bat? That's clearly uh, got you know. Sounds like a Harry Nilsson song. So. But you didn't expect it, right? Because you're thinking exactly. the monkeys, you know? And the thing is, Harry Nilsson, he was friends with Mickey Dolenz and Mike Nesmith. And, and they kind of, I don't want to say discovered him, but they certainly, you know, by putting one of his songs on their records, he could quit his job at the bank. You know what I mean? And that kind of, and I think Mickey Dolenz and Harry Nilsson were like buddies. They were tight, you know, for, uh, yeah. So we could thank the monkeys for bringing Harry Nilsson into our lives, which of course was another, you know, wonderful thing that they did because um, we all love Harry Nelson you know he's fantastic yeah it was yeah. Yeah. really yeah it really was really was well um, I, I know you say you could could uh, talk more about the monkeys uh, I would love that <laughs> I've learned so much uh, the, the past hour not to mention in the past week uh, it, it's been great and and I've got to say I, I hope really do hope that people listen and give this album a listen so I just completed a, a little uh, exercise with a bunch of people that are in the fantasy sports community, which I'm a, I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And we did uh, something called the American rock mock where we did a 15 of us did a 10 round draft and there were, you know, some, some loose rules, but we kind of made it up as we went along. I'm still not sure after finishing it exactly how that was supposed to go, but <laughs> you know, I mean, it's basically the idea of, you know, compiling a, a group of bands, you know, like the best group of bands that you can through a, a 10 round draft and the, the monkeys did not get taken. Oh, and and that and I'm you know one out of fifteen, uh, you know, uh, responsible for that because <laughs> uh, I had ten opportunities to draft the monkeys and I I did not. So and I felt sort of bad about it because I was doing that concurrently while getting ready for the for this episode. But yeah, I think it just goes to show that. I mean, it's just a group of fifteen people, but I think that is reflective of the fact that they still maybe don't get their due, and people need to people need to listen. I hope I hope so. I, I you know, and I, I I know people are always like, oh well, I hope they get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or I hope they do this, or I hope they do that. You know, at the end of the day, as long as people listen to the records, none of that other stuff really matters. You know, I I do hope that I think people. I can't believe the amount of people who know this stuff now, as opposed to when we were younger. You know, so I'm I'm glad for those guys, and I'm glad that they're getting the recognition they deserve because they were very talented, talented guys, and they boy they took a beating in the '60s. It seems. You know, yeah. from critics and stuff, and the, what <laughs> Mickey Dolan's had this great. I read an interview with him once where he referred to like the people that really hated on the monkeys in the sixties as the hip wazee. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> so I'm glad that people respect, have the respect that they deserve. You know, or the, the, giving the monkeys the respect they deserve. Yeah. Well, it's too bad it didn't come sooner, but but at least they're getting it more now. So um, that, that's that's good to see. And I, I've been part of the problem, but uh, I'm, I'm getting on board. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I do want to ask you before we wind up here. So you know, we talked about uh, your, your work as the Junior League and your collaboration with Case Neal's, the, the Sadabouts. And what can we look forward to uh, in terms of both of those projects going forward? Well, I know um, – I'm sure Casey and I are going to do more sad about stuff. We've already talked about that. So next year, I'm sure there'll be another sad about CP. And I am just starting to write some new songs for uh, the Junior League. I don't know whether I'm going to do an EP or another full record. I think I'm probably going to do an EP. And I'm going to um, try and get some shows together next year as well. So, But I, I'm hoping to have another EP 
some new stuff. I'm like I say, I'm just starting to get working on that now. It's been a few months, and and really I've been concentrating on bridge and tunnel and 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 that. So, um, but I I get antsy. I want to I want to do something. You know, I, you know, I just want to go like go record something or go play bass or something. So I'll um sure sooner rather than later I'll have something. Okay, together. and when yeah. you say getting some shows together, is that mostly the New Orleans area? Or are you uh, going to hit the road? Uh, pr- probably, yeah, just here for now. Um, maybe next summer I'd love to play a couple of shows. I, I don't really travel too, too much, um, you know, but you never know, you know. Uh, I It's easier for me to, especially I have a, um, I don't know, I've just got to gotta plan it out. The last year or two, you know, I haven't even, gosh, I just played my first show i played an acoustic show last week as part of a songwriter festival here and i hadn't played since i did an acoustic show in march of 2020 was the last time wow. i played so um it's just wrapping your head around doing that again but i, I can't wait because i had a lot of fun last week doing that so um you know i just want to play yeah no uh, un- understandable and uh you know uh, i hope uh, we all get a chance to to see you even if it means we have to get to new orleans to do it so oh, uh, thank you <laughs> so uh i know there's ways to to keep up with what you're doing you're uh both on twitter and instagram at the junior league uh what would be the best place people should follow you there no matter what but where's the best oh, place you. for people to get information on you know what is developing for you in terms of those records and uh and some live shows i would say the instagram uh at the junior league and uh the the twitter which is again at the junior league and also i have a band camp page which is www.thejuniorleague, all spelled out, thejuniorleague.bandcamp.com. Um, and th- those would be the best places to, uh, that's usually where I'll I'll post. You know, Instagram, I'll say, okay, well, I'm recording something, so we'll see what happens. And then, <laughs> you know, and then, so th- th- those three would be the best places to get info, for sure. Okay, fantastic. And uh, while you're uh, giving those those accounts a follow and uh keeping up with joe's doing uh give give the show a follow as well uh would uh, certainly implore you to do that so uh i do have my main account on twitter uh at al melchior bb but uh show specific stuff probably uh the most direct way to get that information is uh, at you me album both on twitter and on instagram and uh let you know ahead of time who is coming on the show what album they're going to be bringing with them and uh you know so you can uh Get a head start on the listening and the fun. So, uh, Joe Adrania, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a blast. Uh, looks like I've got more more stuff to check out, which is always really fun. So, uh, appreciate that. And uh, wish you best of luck with uh, with all your projects. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I'm so happy I got to be here to, like, to talk to you about the monkeys. And it was so much fun talking to you anyway. So, th- th- thank you very much. Yeah, you know, the pleasure is all mine. Really appreciate it. So, uh, thank you everybody out there very much for giving this podcast a listen really appreciate your support uh, i will be back in yet another week with uh, another guest and another album so uh i'll let you know what that's going to be uh, soon enough but until then everybody please take care be safe out there and listen to some great music mm-hmm.